tell them you're glad they're here. Check, check, there we go. Good morning, Northgate Baptist Church. How many of you guys have felt really heavy this week? Just such a strong sense of of heaviness on your heart. I know I have just, how many of you really need a sense of God's fresh presence in your life this week, just knowing that he's near you? I know I've been really struggling with that. And I just want to share a Bible verse with you uh, from Isaiah 41.10. It says, fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. That's such a good verse in in this uh, time of trials that our world is facing. Uh, Let's just pray together. Our gracious God, we just uh, think of uh, the the turmoil in the world, Lord. We think of our friends, family in in Ukraine, God. And we ask, God, that um, you would bring this terrible uh, conflict to a peaceful resolution, God. And, Lord, our our hearts are so heavy for these awful world events, but we believe that you are sovereign and you are in control, God. And, Lord, we just uh, give you our church service right now. We invite your Holy Spirit here to move, God, and just pray that you would uh, speak through Pastor Mark, that you give him the words to say in Jesus' name. Amen. So just some quick announcements. uh, if you are brand new to our church, we want to welcome you. We have a gift for you, so please connect with a pastor, an usher, a deacon in the back, and we'll make sure that uh, you have that gift. Um, tonight, we are having a concert of prayer, and uh, this is just a, a real time for us just to press into the Lord and, and see what He's doing, and um, it's tonight at 6.30 p.m. in the fellowship hall, so please join us for that. Time change, guys, is uh, March 13th, and like Pastor Mark uh, announced on that day, we're going to move our service um, to 10.30 a.m., so just a heads up on that. And following that, we're going to, Pastor Mark Barrett's going to be starting the Next Step program on March 13th as well, too. What time is that at, Mark? 9 o'clock a.m. So if you're interested in that, please connect with Pastor Mark Barrett or show up at 9 a.m. on the 13th. So um, I'm just going to invite Pastor Mark Barrett up to introduce our guest speaker. Thank you. I haven't met him yet, but we've corresponded. And uh, Ed Schuster is here today. Uh, Come on up, Ed. Uh, He's our missionary to where? China. And... uh, We're glad to have Ed here with us to share with us a few minutes about his ministry, what God is doing, where are you at, where are you going. It's nice to meet you. We'll shake hands today because I'm not COVID afraid. So, yeah. There we go. In the pocket with that. Well, thank you so very much once again for opening your hearts and your doors to me to come and share about what's been happening You've been so faithful in your prayers and support, and I really appreciate that. Uh, Especially you guys up on the top. I know you guys are the ones that are praying the most because you're the holiest, being closer to God. Yeah. Uh, Anyways, yeah. 
So uh, for those of you who have not met me, my name is Ed Schuster. No, I'm not Zig's son. I'm his nephew. Uh, but I work with an organization called TEL, Training Evangelistic Leadership, based out of Edmonton here. Uh, it's a sort of an offshoot of Navigators years ago. Um, and I have been so fortunate to be allowed to work in China for the last 30 years, uh, working predominantly among the Lisu minority nationality, and our platform has been poverty alleviation and community development. Oh, there we go. Um, so, um, how many of you here are getting my updates? Okay, so there are a few. Um, let me recap what's been happening over the last little while. Uh, since the hardline communists have come back into power in China, there has been a, uh, a very much uh, tightening of restrictions and things like that. So much so that a few years ago, uh, there was a huge exodus of foreigners leaving, uh, foreigners who were doing not only um, community development, but, but uh, teaching or in different facets, even businesses, uh, were either being shut down uh, or and kicked out or just not having their visas renewed. So the Leeds family, of course, Dave and Christy and their kids, you know very well. They're uh, children of this church way back. Um, they were one of those who felt that they needed to come back to Canada at that time for the sake of their kids' education and stuff. And uh, so at that point, uh, I was the only foreigner left um, among the Lisu uh, in, in our valley there. Um, no, there was a lot of people who said, oh, you must be so lonely, you're all by yourself. And I said, yeah, just me and my 30,000 Lisu friends. Yeah. It wasn't, I mean, of course I missed the other foreigners, but uh, the relationships that we have with the people there are ongoing. Um, so our, our projects continue to go, even while I'm back here now. I've been back since almost a year now, after my visa ran out. Um, and I haven't been able to get back because of COVID. Um, I was hoping to be back in last October already. Uh, but a, a few developments have happened. Uh, because of the restrictions that are ongoing within China at this moment, um, God really put it on my heart that I should not be living in Fugong any longer. But coming in once in a while maybe once or twice a year, or two or three times a year for a month or a month and a half, just to be able to communicate with our local staff there in a more meaningful way. Um, because, of course, I'm still in contact with them now via WeChat, but that's all monitored, so we can't get into some of the nitty-gritty stuff that I'd like to. Um, but I can report that they're continuing to uh, do the work that they're continuing to reach out and ministering to the orphans and the foster kids, uh, to the mental health care patients, to those who need medical needs uh, met, and uh, they're being faithful in what God is asking them to do. Um, so, what can you do to help? I strongly urge that you continue to pray for our staff in China. These Lisu brothers and sisters who have given up the opportunity lots of times to 
build their own careers or uh, get ahead in the world financially in order to minister to their own people. Uh, pray for their encouragement, uh, that they would continue to go forward in spite of opposition. Pray for their personal sanctification, that as they walk with the Lord, they would grow in his ways, in, in the uh, understanding of the nature and character of the God they love and serve, uh, that they would be able to be obedient to what they have called him to. And as they hear the voice of the Lord, that they would, would be stepping out in those things that he's asking. Uh, that they would be open and willing to be led by the Holy Spirit and, and not have the things around them dictate how, they, uh, how and why they do things. Um, that they may experience the fullness of the grace of God in their lives and be able to impart that to the others around them. Many of the Lisu people, even the Lisu Christians, have in the past struggled with the concept of grace. And so that is one thing that please pray for them. Another one is to pray that they would have favor with government, in spite of it being a communist government, that they would somehow be willing to let them do what God has called them to do. That nothing is impossible with God. As far as me personally, I'm, I'm excited. No, that's not the word I'm looking for. I'm anxiously awaiting the time when I can get back to China personally. So far, those doors have not opened yet. Uh, but as soon as they do, I plan on going back to spend quality time with our staff. Uh, for those of you who have uh, received my newsletters, thank you so much for praying, especially for my personal situation. Um, the, um, for those of you who don't know, I was recently, well, in September, I was charged with assault by my brother-in-law for keeping him out of my sister's house when he was trying to get in. Uh, the court date has come and gone, and uh, basically I've been issued a peace bond, which means that for one year, I cannot have any direct or indirect contact with my soon-to-be former brother-in-law. And the second thing is that I have to um, behave myself. Uh, one of those two is going to be more difficult than the other. <laughs> I'll have to admit it. Anyway, so thank you guys for praying through that with me. Continue, please, to pray also for my sister, uh, who is being devastated by this divorce, as well as my, uh, my nephew, uh, Johan, uh, who is seriously affected as well and has, is having issues. Um, so those are the things that I want to share with you today. Please continue to pray, and uh, thank you so much for your love and your support. Let's, let's pray for Ed now. Lord, thank you so much for our brother Ed who uh, is faithfully serving you. We pray, Lord, that uh, as he anxiously waits uh, to be able to return to China, we pray, number one, that you would open that door and allow him to return. Lord, we pray that in your timing and in your way, you would make that possible. And then while he awaits, that he would continue uh, to know how he can faithfully serve you and faithfully encourage those that he works with in China. Uh, Lord, we pray for the church there. Lord, we, we have a lot to learn from the church in China who has been in persecution for so long. And um, Father, we thank you for them. Thank you for their faithfulness. 
And we pray, Lord, that you would help them in their spiritual growth, that they would continue to learn about your grace and love, and that, Lord, you would help them to continue to walk faithfully with you. Thank you for those who are there serving, like Ed, helping them uh, in their journey. And, Lord, we pray your blessing and strength upon uh, them and upon Ed. Thank you, Lord, that you're resolving these personal issues that he's had. And, uh, Lord, we pray that um, you will continue to bless his sister and children and that uh, they would just know the peace of of God, which surpasses all comprehension in their lives. And uh, we just commit all this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we stand together and just uh, thank Ed for his faithful service unto the Lord. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much. Children, uh, you can be dismissed to uh, your children's time, your church time, as Pastor Mark comes. Hi, Carol. I know. (laughs) All right, have fun. Good morning. Welcome. Whether you're here in person or you're joining us online, uh, glad you have joined us and hope you're excited about digging into the Word of God this morning. Uh, In order to do that, you can turn with me. Uh, to the book of 1 John. We continue our series, uh, looking at chapter 3 this morning. Uh, And as you're turning there, I will confess, uh, the passage we come to this morning is not one I probably would have chosen myself if I had the choice, uh, which is exactly why I preach through, you know, entire books, because it forces you to examine the entire Word of God, not just the things you'd like to talk about. Um, But in this passage, John is uh, returning to a theme he's already sort of mentioned a few times already, a theme that he's now going to deal with in more detail. And that theme is the topic of sin. And obviously sin, sometimes just saying the word sin, it makes people uncomfortable. Uh, You know, sin is not something you, you know, you just bring up in polite conversation or it's not a, you know, topic you discuss at parties. Uh, Sin almost feels sort of taboo. Uh, and there are some churches that actually, because of that, they don't even bring up the topic of sin anymore. But sin is something we need to talk about. Uh, it's something the Bible talks about a lot, and that means that sin is something that God himself doesn't want us to be ignorant about. And that means churches need to preach about sin, and that's exactly what we're going to be doing this morning. As we come to our passage in 1 John, uh, 1 John chapter 3, verses 3 to 10 is what we'll be looking at this morning. And if you want to follow along, I'll read it for you. Beginning of verse 3, it says, And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the work of the devil. 
No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this is it, ev- it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Let's pray. Father God, well, we just ask that you would uh, be with us this morning, that the uh, Lord, your Holy Spirit would abide with us, that you would be the spirit of truth in our lives as we look at the Word of God this morning, that you would guide our hearts and our thoughts and our minds, and that, Lord, we would just be able to hear from you um, the message that you would have us hear. And, Lord, this is always one of those uncomfortable talks, but, Lord, I pray that, uh, Lord, that hearing this truth would help us grow closer to you, that it would be transformational, that it wouldn't be, you know, the, the guilt trap backing up on, on top of us, but, Lord, it would be words that remind us of the freedom that we can have in Christ when it comes to sin and the forgiveness we have because of Jesus. So, Lord, I just ask that you would use these words in a very special way in our lives this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me ask you just the question. What's the standard of excellence in your life? Um, And that may not be something you've never really sort of thought about, something you've maybe never tried to sort of put a number to. You've tried to quantify, what is my standard? But, you know, most of us kind of have a place where we're comfortable, where, where, where we, a place where we just kind of get to where we're, you know, we're content with our effort. Like, we feel like, oh, I've given enough here. And whether it's, you know, your school marks or whether you're, you know, grinding away at work or whether you're playing sports, you know, your coach or your boss, they might want you to give 110%. But many people, you know, we're kind of satisfied giving 80% or, you know, if we're really keen, maybe 90%. Uh, others may be a little bit more than that, maybe a little less than that, but all of us have a place where we think, you know, that's probably good enough. But author Natalie Gabble uh, was kind enough to compile some statistics that she titled, what if 99.9% was good enough? And listen to what she says. She says, in North America, if 99.9% was good enough, 12 babies a day would go to the wrong parents. That's a problem. Uh, Every year, 2 million documents would be lost by the IRS. 291 pacemaker operations would be performed incorrectly. 20,000 drug prescriptions, uh, incorrect drug prescriptions would be written. 114,000 mismatched pairs of shoes would be shipped. And that's amazing because, you know, while 99.9% sounds pretty good, you know, when you really look at it, you realize that 0.1% that's left over can actually have some pretty significant ramifications. And that's kind of what John seems to be telling us in our passage today. As he begins with the words in verse 3, he says, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. We are to be pure as Christians just as God himself is pure. That means God doesn't want us to be 90% holy or 95% holy, or 99% holy, God wants us to be no less than 100% holy people, just like he is. And that seems to be pretty consistent with other places in Scripture. Peter uh, says in 1 Peter 1.15, says, Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And Jesus himself, Matthew 5, verse 48, Jesus says, be perfect therefore, perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. 
And even John, again, seems to make the same point later in our passage in verse 6. He says, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. As believers, we're to be without sin. And yet, even as I say that, there's a tension there I think we need to address. Because while perfection is the standard to which we are called as Christians, as believers who are living in a fallen world, I think we may be wondering if perfection is even something that's possible in our lives, this side of heaven. Even as John himself says earlier on in this letter, he says in 1 John 1, 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So where does that leave us? Is John really now telling us that we are to have, to try to achieve something in our life that is unachievable? Is John saying if we commit sin, we're not in Christ, but if we claim to live without sin, we are liars, and which is a sin in itself? It all seems kind of confusing until we really sort of unpack what John is, or what John is trying to say in our passage this morning. And I'm not going to really try to overcomplicate this teaching this morning. I just want to kind of walk us through this passage and just see some of the things that John wants us to know about how our practice can make us perfect. Uh, and we begin in verse 4, where he says, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. John begins with giving us a definition. You know, sometimes, sometimes sin is described as missing the mark. Uh, sometimes sin is described as falling short of God's standard. Sometimes sin is omission, not, where, where we don't do the things that we know we ought to do. But here John gives us another pretty good description of what sin actually is telling us that sin is lawlessness. Sin is a breach of God's law. It's a breach of God's command. And in a way, lawlessness, when you think about it, it's kind of the very essence of sin. Um, John even says, verse 8, the one who does what, uh, does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. You know, Satan's whole thing from the very start was, you know, rejecting and opposing the will of God. Sin is disobedience. It's rebellion against God and what he wants us to do. Sin is when God says to us, do this, but we choose to do something else. We reject God's way and go our own way. And you know, the very simplest example of this is right from the very beginning. Garden of Eden, uh, you know, uh, Garden of Eden, God says, you know, Adam, don't eat from this tree. This tree, this one tree, don't eat from this tree. Pretty simple. What happens? Adam eats from the tree, like you had one job. But that's sin. God sets a law, we break the law. We disobey God. But this is what's important to understand here as well. Because it reminds us that God is the one who actually defines sin. It's not us. Uh, we can obey God's law, we can reject God's law, but we cannot change it. Sin is not determined by an opinion poll. It's not determined by a majority votes. God sets the standard for sin and law in his word. And I know there's people out there who, when they read God's word, they want to just be able to pick and choose what things God says are sins and what things they decide aren't uh, based on their own opinion and ideas. And I'm sure if it was up to us, we would, you know, probably like the Fromos Almanac, we'd we issue a new decree of what's sinful every year because, you know, times would change. But hear this clearly, sin is sin because God says so. 
God is the one who, who gives us the law that we have to follow. And while I'm on the topic, let me also say this. When I'm talking about sin this morning, I'm not talking about sin theoretically. Uh, this is not like some, you know, sin. It's some lofty idea of philosophy where, you know, it's so big and so abstract that it has no real world applications. Uh, this is also not, you know, sin is also not a problem that's just for the really bad people like, you know, Hitler or Stalin. And this morning, this sermon is also not, you know, one of those sermons you hear that where the pastor must be talking about somebody else that I know. When I speak about sin, you need to know that sin matters to you personally. And you can read verses like Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. Again, Romans 3.23, all have sinned, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that just simply means you're a sinner, and I'm a sinner, and everyone who has ever been born has been born into sin, and everyone who sins is practicing lawlessness. But now what does it mean to actually practice lawlessness? Um, because John uses that word that's translated as practice in this passage several times. Uh, just a few examples. Uh, verse 4, he says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Verse 7, whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Verse 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning again is of the devil. Verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Verse 10, no one who, uh, whoever does not practice righteousness is of God. Well, this is the next lesson we learn from our pastor, and it's kind of a biggie, that biggie that when John uses that word that's translated, or the idea that's translated here is practice, uh, he's not talking about a person who is sinning sort of now and then. Uh, a practice of sinning is not sort of a one-off event. This is not a Christian, uh, you know, who, you know, bangs his ha- thumb with a hammer and lets a few choice words fly, you know, now and then. When John says practice, uh, it's the idea that this means he's talking about an entire lifestyle devoted to something. So to practice sin is to, is to have sin as a person's continual habit in their life. It is sinning that is constantly in the present tense. Um, and that's why they translate it like that in this passage. It's, it's the tense of the verb that matters. It is sinning that is constantly in the present tense in somebody's lives. It's the way that a person is living their life every single day. It's a habit. Uh, John MacArthur actually says, verse 6 literally translates, whoever abides in him does not continually, habitually practice sin. So John is not saying here that we won't sin. What he's saying is really that Christians won't want to sin and that any lingering habitual sins in our life that we had before Christ, that we're eventually going to get rid of those things. We're going to be purified. We're going to be refined uh, through our relationship with Christ. And it's, it's a process of working towards holiness. And it's not that we're not going to struggle. It's not that we won't be t- tempted. It's not that sometimes we're even going to slip and sin. But on the whole, our lives are not characterized as Christians by constant sin. But instead, they're characterized by a movement towards greater holiness. And yet, I know that there are people, uh, there are Christians, who are still stuck in some sin. Uh, They're stuck in bondage to something, some addiction, some sin in their life that they just have not been able to overcome, and they just keep going back to it. So the question I'd ask there is, is that then them practicing lawlessness? Does that mean that those people are now lost? 
Well, I don't think it does, because I think as long as that person is still fighting, as long as that person is still longing to live in greater holiness, still actively seeking help for their problem and praying for their release, as long as they're still being broken by their sin and saying, this is not something I want in my life, and they're pursuing repentance, I still think that person, that person is still facing in the right direction. You know, even if they lose ground sometimes, as long as they're heading towards Jesus, they're on the right track. Because you know what? In, in all of our lives, there is a war going on between our old sinful nature and our new nature in Christ. And I don't think we lose that battle unless we outright just give up and give in and surrender to the flesh. We're never really stuck in sin until we stop fighting sin. And the key is just never to get comfortable. Never to be content with the idea of sin in our lives and just keep doing something about it. And we all make a choice about that. In fact, I think that's what the next three verses speak to. It says, verse 6 and 7, it says, No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen, has seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. John kind of makes it clear here, when it comes to sin and when it comes to righteousness, there's no sitting on the fence. You're either doing one or you're doing the other. You can't pursue two separate goals that are in two separate directions at the same time. And the warning here is that there's a lot of people out there who, who try that. There's a lot of people out there in the Christian world who kind of, they want to have their cake and eat it too. You know, they, they want to know God. They want to be saved. They want to go to heaven. But they still kind of want to enjoy all the sinful pleasures that, that the world has to offer. So maybe they think to themselves and they go, well, you know what? Everyone else is doing it. Why can't I? Maybe they say, what's the harm? No, no one's really getting hurt. It's just a little sin. You just tell a little white lie. What's the big deal? You cheat on your taxes. The government wasn't going to spend it right anyways. You gossip a little bit about old so-and-so and what they're doing. I mean, they probably had it coming anyways. You just take a look at that website. It's not like anyone's getting hurt. But again, here's the deep warning to all of us. We cannot let ourselves get comfortable with sin in our lives. Never let yourself become casual about some sin that is living uh, in, in your life. Sin, all sin, has consequences. I know I've, I've said this before. As a pastor, I have seen the pain that sin causes. You know, I've seen marriages end. I've seen careers sunk. I've seen families destroyed. I've seen friendships unraveled. I've seen lives devastated. I've seen people lose everything that they care about, all because somewhere along the line, someone once thought, what's the big deal? The Bible tells us sin easily entangles. That sin destroys, that sin binds us, sin captures us, sin separates us from God, and sin kills. So you can't have it both ways. And I'm convinced that many Christians are living unfulfilled, empty lives simply because they are compromising their faith by the way that they live. Even if it's some small area of their lives. The problem is that there's something, some sin that they just, they're just not all that bothered by it anymore. But you know what? Lukewarm and loving it is not the life for a Christian. We have to choose. When it comes to sin, you don't play with it, you don't toy with it, you don't rationalize it, you don't deny it, you don't ignore it, you get rid of it. You confess, you repent, and you stop trying to have it both ways because you can't. 
And you can't, even if there's some people who tell you that you can't. Which leads us to our next lesson, as John says in verse 7, little children, let no one deceive you. Uh, Some translations say, don't let anyone lead you astray. Because you know what? On this, on this subject of sin, you can't afford to be misinformed. And that's exactly what was happening in the churches uh, when John originally was writing this letter. Uh, We talked about this. There were false teachers who were deceiving people, basically telling them that, you know what? Sin doesn't matter. You can sin all that you like, and it doesn't really count against your account of holiness because the flesh didn't matter. It was all spiritual. And you know what? Paul had a very similar problem in one of his churches where people were abusing the concept of grace. And they were saying, you know what? If Jesus died to forgive sins, then you know what? The more we sin, the more forgiveness God has to grant. And that makes sinning a good thing because it increases the amount of forgiveness in the world. But that's like breaking your leg on purpose to say there's more healing in the world. It's crazy. But when it comes to sin, people can get some crazy ideas if they don't have some good and grounded teaching from God's Word. And it's not just bad teaching that's dangerous. But as I said, it's it's a lack of teaching that can also be dangerous. You know, there are many people and even many churches, again, who just don't like to talk about sin. So they're silent about it. You know, there's pulpits that are safe spaces not to trigger sinful people. But the less we talk and teach about sin, the more likely we are, as a church and as believers we are to fall into sin. Which leads us to what may be the most important part of what John wants to tell us about sin. And that's the good news. Here's how to overcome it. And he says in verse 5, he says, But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. When it comes to sin, again, sin is a, sin is a problem that we are helpless to deal with on our own. But what we were powerless to do on our own, God did for us through Jesus Christ on our behalf. Jesus came to take away sin. And what we were helpless to do, you know, God did. We were helpless, God saved us. We were lost, God came to find us. We were dead in our trespasses, God came to offer us life. Where we fell short, God made up the difference. And he doesn't, again, do it by some act of magic. It's not just a royal decree. He doesn't wave a wand and say abracadabra and poof, sin is God. No, God fixed the problem of sin by sending Jesus Christ, his sinless son, to die on the cross in our place. On the cross, Jesus took the wages of sin upon himself. He paid the price for our sin with his own life. And I never want you to miss that. Never miss that Jesus is the hero of the story. And you know, he didn't just die to take away our sins. He died to give us the strength and the means to overcome them. So I love what verse 8 says. The reason that, again, he gives another reason. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And you know, if the devil's work is lawlessness and rebellion and disobedience and getting people, you know, to do the same in their lives, then destroying that work, by destroying that work, Jesus also says he comes to offer us lives that are full of righteousness and submission and obedience to God. So if you want to deal with the sin in your life, there is no other place that you need to begin than being born again and accepting Jesus as your Savior who died for you. But that's only the beginning, because verse 9 continues, no one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them. 
Now, there's some debate about what the seed in this passage is referring to. Some think it's the Word of God, just like Jesus talked about in the parable of the sower, the sowing of the seed is the Word of God. Uh, Peter even says something similar. 1 Peter 1.23, he says, for, you've been bo- not, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring Word of God. But others say this is actually the Holy Spirit, the seed of the Spirit, uh, who is abiding in the lives of believers. But I actually think John is referring to both of those things. I see the seed here as the Word of God that is also empowered in our life through the work of the Holy Spirit because we need both those things. We need the Word of God because the Word of God teaches us and it directs us. It helps us discern right from wrong. It, you know, it, it leads us out of deception uh, through revealing to us truth. And it also helps us to know what the law is. If law, sin is lawlessness, well, what's the law? You know, the Bible lets us know what God desires from our life. And the Word of God is powerful. Uh, Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. And that means in a very real way, if you are struggling with sin, in your life right now, one of the best things that you can do is actually get into and study the Word of God. It seems almost too simple, but if you do it, you will see a difference when God's truth is being poured into your life. So spend time in the Word. But that also leaves us to talk about the role of the Holy Spirit in all this, because, you know, again, I think that's part of the seed, uh, part of this truth that we need to know. And I think this is also what John is referring to in verse 9. He says they cannot go on sinning because they've been born of God. Uh, When we are born again, when we are born of God, we are given new life through the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is the one who does the work of salvation in our life. The Holy Spirit abides in us and goes to work transforming us. The Bible tells us the Holy Spirit indwells us lives in our hearts. He, he seals us and assures us of our salvation and the promises of God. He guides us. He leads us. He brings conviction. He offers sanctification. He gives us spiritual gifts so that we can serve. He intercedes in our behalf before the throne of the Father. And without the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, the reality is we would just be completely unable to overcome sin. We need the power of God at work if we are even going to have a chance against sin in our life. You know, it's a bit of a long passage, but Romans 8 uh, says it so well. Beginning with verse 1, it says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. And you know, for me, that's actually really good news because that means when it comes to overcoming sin in my life, I know I don't have to do this alone. God's on my side and God has provided the power to do that through the Holy Spirit. Freedom from sin, understand this, freedom from sin is never something we will find within ourselves. It's not enough to have willpower or discipline or even really good intentions. No, to overcome sin in our lives, we need the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. 
And we need to be living intentionally according to the Spirit and abiding in Him. And if we allow God to do that work within us, um, the final thing we're told in this passage is that the world is going to see a difference. It's going to make a difference. As it says in verse 10, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. People are going to notice a difference in a life lived for God. There's a change that people often can see. And even though much of that change can be something that's seen outwardly, uh, most of the change that happens in our lives happens on the inside. It happens in our heart. I think that's actually why John here mentions, you know, the love for brother and sister. He's going to go on and talk about that next time. But you know what? There's a lot of things you can fake when it comes to a Christian life. You can look really good. But loving each other, that is something that people will know is genuine if it's present in your life. And I think this is just another danger we face when we look at a passage like this. And that's just that many people think that holiness is just about looking good. You know, that the most important thing is that people just see us behaving differently. You know, that our, change, our behavior changes publicly. Um, and some people think, you know, that to be holy, I just have to show up in church on Sunday morning with my hair combed and a nice suit or dress or, you know, big Bible and look good and speak all that Christian language we speak to each other and I'm praying for you and all that stuff. And that's all that God wants from us. But when it comes to holiness, the real change, it happens inside of us. It happens in our hearts. And I say that, I think, partly as well, because everything that John has been talking about, you know, leading up to this passage, has been about our relationship with God. Uh, he talks about, you know, reminds us we are children of God. He reminds us how much we are loved by God and that we love Him in return. He reminds us how we are secure in our relationship with God and our place in God's family. It's all about relationship and family and loving God. And then, God, then John moves into this passage, and John is really telling us that, that when it comes to holiness, when it comes to living in purity, it has to be seen as something that is rooted in that relationship with God. That means that holiness is not God saying to us, how good can you be if you really try hard? Holiness is God saying, you are my child and you are a new creation and it's time for us together to discover who you are in Christ. So this change we see in our lives towards holiness, it's not something that is to be fueled by fear. Fear of us not being good enough. Fear of us of not being accepted by God if we don't meet his standard. Instead, it is something that is to be inspired by our response to the security and the love of God that we know we have as believers and as his children. Because fear, fear can change a person's outward behavior, but only love truly transforms our hearts. That is to be our true motivation when it comes to holiness. There's actually a little story I came across about a girl in high school who's at a party with her friends, and some people there were trying to pressure her to, you know, to drink and get drunk, but she kept refusing. And finally, her friends, you know, teased her, saying, you know, what's wrong? Are you afraid your dad is going to hurt you if you do? And the girl simply replied, no. I'm afraid that my behavior would hurt my dad. And that's what matters more. The girl obeyed not out of her love for her father, not her fear. And when it comes to how we live, love needs to be our motivation for our transformation. 
And I've kind of run out of time here this morning on this. And this is one of those passages where you can just go over it over and over again and you'll still find more to say. But let me just close this morning with a chance just for all of us to just reflect on our lives this morning. To just think about your holiness before the Lord and allow the Holy Spirit just to search your heart. And just ask God the question, Lord, is, is there something in my life right now that I need to let go of? Is there an area that I need to clean out? Is, is there change that I need to make? Priorities that need to be rearranged in order to pursue greater holiness with you? Because this morning, if you're listening and you know that you've been living a life of compromise in some area of your life, if you know at some point you become too familiar with the world or too casual about sin, if you know today that even sitting here, that you have been living a life in a way that you know is not pleasing to God. There's no way, better way for you to get back on track than just ask God for forgiveness. Confess those areas of your life that you've let slip. Repent and begin today to live a new life pleasing to God. Because that's what God desires from his people. And no matter who you are or what you've done, there is freedom and forgiveness to be found in Christ. Surrender to the Holy Spirit, asking for strength to make righteousness your practice and seek to make holiness our habit and righteousness our, ha- our practice before the Lord. Let's pray together. Father God, I just want us to come and just be quiet before you this morning. Um, ask that you would search our hearts, that Lord, in this moment, that your Holy Spirit might bring conviction. As your word said, search our hearts, O God. See if there's any offensive way in me. And I pray that, Lord, you would search us and reveal those things to us. Because, Lord, we know that we are called as your people to holiness. We are called to live and practice righteousness. And I know that in doing that, we all stumble at times. But we thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you for the forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ that helps us overcome the power of sin in our lives. We thank you for the word of God um, that guides us and reveals your truth to us. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit who empowers us and works within us and abides within us and who does the work of salvation and sanctification within us as we um, live in accordance with with the Holy Spirit. And again, may that be our habit. May that be our practice, that that we would just live continuing to move in the direction of greater holiness, that we would continue to, you would continue to refine us and make us more and more and more holy as you shave off those rough edges and you get rid of those sins in our life that are holding us back. And I pray, Lord, we would always be alert to the dangers around us, that we'd always be alert for some sin that is trying to sneak into our lives, that we'd always be ready to confess any time we slip and willing to repent of anything you show us in our lives that is not for our good, Uh, that we would not be comfortable with sin. We would not be comfortable just being lukewarm. And we wouldn't do those things because we want to, we're living in fear, but we do them because we are inspired by your great love for us. May we continue to purify ourselves as your people, just as you are pure. That is our prayer this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's.